You're listening to audio from Gospel Collective Church. If you'd like to check out additional resources or learn more about us, please visit gcclex.com. John chapter 17. Uh, this morning we're going to cover our mission statement, uh, mission reminder series. Uh, our mission, as you usually see, although covered by the flags, uh, rightfully so for this month with it being Global Missions Month, but next month uh, you're going to, when walk out, see banners in the back that says our mission is to glorify God to love our neighbors and make disciples who make disciples. Um, And as we have grown as a church, it is so important that we are reminded of and united in that very mission. Um, I had recently heard from a pastor in Louisville, Kentucky. Uh, He's also the author of What is the Gospel? Greg Gilbert. Uh, I heard him share a story of him going on a mission trip in East Asia and this specific area in East Asia is, uh, I call it, I, he said closed, I say semi-closed. Um, and that's because the government of this country in East Asia, uh, they allow Christians in some churches, but they also make sure those Christians in the churches don't do certain things per se. Um, the missionaries took him to a local Christian bookstore, and he said he was surprised by the topics and the authors that were there. Uh, categories like what you would see when we used to have the brick-and-mortar Christian bookstores around here, Christian Living, Theology, books by John Piper and other well-known authors. But the, the missionary pulled him aside and he asked him, which category or type of books is noticeably missing from this bookstore? And so he did look around a little bit. He didn't know what the answer was. He said, I don't know. What is it? The missionary answered, books about the church. He said, you will not find one category, topic, or even books that is about the church. And he said, well, why? I mean, they'll allow theology, they'll allow Christian living, they'll allow all these things. Why not books about the church? And this is what the missionary said. The government of this semi-closed country knows that if Christians are just individuals, they are not a threat. If Christians just care about their finances, their friendships, their devotional life, their 30-day Bible readings, not to say there's anything wrong with those things, but if they only care about those things and all the rest of it, they are not a threat. They become a threat when the church organizes and when they organize and unite around the mission. Because the missionary said that's when their allegiances are centered on a different king and that king's purpose altogether. That is just as true for us. We have one difference. We don't have a government holding us back. It's usually us holding us back, not being united on that mission, having other purposes. That is just as true for us. And it's why, as a church, we are using this series and discussing this in community groups, a reminder of why our mission is to all together glorify God, love our neighbors, and make disciples who make disciples. Today we're going to talk about the first of those three parts, to glorify God, taken from John, again, chapter 17, the high priestly prayer, specifically where we pull that is from verses 4 through 6, but we will be studying verses 1 through 10 as a whole, especially seeing the first four of our core values as a church that goes into that mission of glorifying God. What we're going to read here is Jesus' very first words in his prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane, right as he is starting to feel the weight of what will come as he bears the burden 
of sin on the cross and his sacrifice for us. Read with me, John chapter 17, starting off with verse 1. We'll read verses 1 through 10, and then we'll go verse by verse, talking about our mission to glorify God and the values, the four core values that our church finds in it. Verse 1, God's word says this. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that the son may glorify you. Since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God. And Jesus Christ, whom you have sent, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them, and I've come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you had sent me. Verse 9, I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. First we see in verse 1, in a posture of prayer, Jesus speaking to his heavenly father, the one that adopts us into his family through him, that we have forever access to, that same relationship we have because of what Jesus is exemplifying here and later giving to us. He says to his heavenly father in prayer, the hour has come, part of his purpose, part of his mission. It is finally here. And what is that mission? Look at the second part in verse one. Glorify your son that the son may glorify you. Let me remind you that the Old Testament reveals that God will not give his glory to another. From the commandments that is well known with people that even grow up in church to Isaiah 42 and 48. The Bible as a whole reveals and shows that not only is Jesus truly God, but that Jesus should be glorified so that he will glorify his father because they are one. It also shows that when we, both individually, but especially as a church united, when we glorify Jesus, we glorify God. And when we glorify God, we glorify Jesus. Now, what does it mean exactly to glorify God? Like you look at it like a, just a Webster dictionary definition, and you're going to see it to be defined as high renown or honor won by notable achievements, magnificence, great beauty, to take great pride and pleasure in, to be in awe of, a weighty honor. When you look at a more Bible definition, it speaks of it in a way that 
produces, this is kind of a weird word, but again, kind of more Bible definition, it produces fatness. Or in other words, possessing great grandness or splendor that is full. And we yearn and we hunger for both of those definitions of glory. We hunger for recognition. We hunger for affirmation. We hunger for applause and love, grandness and splendor. We want glory in everything from sports to music and theater. You watch certain movies and you listen to certain songs and it helps make you realize, I want that type of recognition. I've mentioned these things before and these things are not sinful things by any means. But you will see how participation and love and lore for sports, how we will hunger, yearn, to stand out and feel significant. We imagine heroic feats like winning the race, scoring the winning touchdown. If you're a baseball fan, taking one deep in the bottom of the ninth with the bases loaded, full count. You guys should see pictures of me in my little Cleveland Browns gear. And then later on, when actually playing football myself, like my dream is to win the Super Bowl for the Browns as a linebacker. That was my dream. I know, like Super Bowl Browns shouldn't even be in the same definition. But that was Travis Kelsey's dream as well, okay? When it comes to music and theater, you see so many who's a part of that, which again, is not sinful in itself. But in music, for example, all this time and energy wanting to hit it big as a band, desiring fame and fortune, people recognizing your art. I mean, so much time and effort getting it out there for exposure, and academics and profession. You want everyone to know what degree you got, the frat or sorority you're a part of, your grades. It's why you will see the minivans with, my child is an honor student, right? Your career and later job. When it comes to popularity and friendships, we crave acceptance within certain friendships and people, guys or girls liking you, people wanting to be like you. Some of you, when I say some of those things, again, it, it's close to the heart. You realize that. You hunger that. However, some of you may not care for any of that stuff. The applause of the crowd is not the prize for you. The prize for you is avoiding their jeers. For you, seizing glory means anything and everything you can do to sidestep humiliation. And whether it is a passion for praise or a deep-rooted fear of humiliation, it is all glory hunger. We seek glory from man, from self, but we must ask what exactly is the purpose? From popularity to certain achievements and acceptance, are we hungering after the wrong things, especially when it gives glory to self or others? I'm reminded of John chapter 12, five chapters before the high priestly prayer that we just read, where in God's word it says, nevertheless, many, even of the authorities, believed in him, talking about Jesus, but 
for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it so that they would not be put out of the synagogue. Verse 43, for they loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. And listen, church, that is some of us in here. That's all of us at certain times and points. And church, when I say this, and as we read and go over our values and our mission in this, I do realize that this can be hard to understand and see at times. Hard to accept, hard to live out, even for the strongest and most mature Christians in here. But we cannot deny its truth and importance. Church, it is a part of counting the cost. It is a part of taking up our crosses. It is a part of what we all must live out. And what John the Baptist once said, I must decrease so he can increase. It is a part of Christianity. And I promise, he is worth it. There's a reason why the last young couple in our church that got married here out of all songs to sing at their wedding, the one song is the song we will be singing after this sermon, All Glory to Christ. Glory and ourselves and others will always let us down. Hear that. Let that sink in. Even if you don't believe it right now, let it haunt you later. Glory in ourselves and others will not satisfy. Whether it turns into disappointment, shame, hurt from such lies and deceit. Though our glory hunger has made us slaves to the applause of people, God has built us for glory and intends to satisfy our deep-rooted hunger for it. He created us that way. We were created to glorify God and like Jesus, as we read here, it is a part of our mission to glorify God. And we even read and see four of our church's core values in this prayer that helps us fulfill that mission to glorify God. First core value that we read here, and for us as a church, verses 2 through 5, John chapter 17. We will be centered around the gospel. Read with me again verse 2. Since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him, and this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed God gave Jesus authority over the human world and realm when giving him, as we read here in verse 2 and 3, a temporary human body to accomplish an eternal purpose and mission. And as verse 3 says, eternity is given through this message. That message being the good news of the gospel. That the only true God sent Jesus by, look at verse 4, accomplishing the work. And that work is the work of the cross as he atoned for our sin, forgives us, 
reconciles us to him, and the resurrection that defeats all of Satan's sin and death, that gives salvation, that God sent him to do. And as the beginning of verse 4 says, God is greatly glorified in that finished work of the cross and resurrection, the mission and purpose of Jesus. Verse 5 says that the mission of Jesus in the gospel was a mission that gives God glory before the world even existed. Like add that on top of those hard to answer questions that your kids ask. Who created God? No one, everybody, you know, like he was always eternal. Every time I serve with kids, I get asked that question. And as the pastor, do you know what I tell them? Ask your parents, okay? But now on top of that is like the mission also existed before the world was existed. Not only his creation, the mission. That is how important that the gospel is. The gospel doesn't just give sinful people salvation and saved people sanctification and edification. It gives God glory. And as wise a church, we are centered on it. In fact, our tagline kind of with that, go to our website or if you go to GCC 101 and a reminder for everyone in here, under that core value, gospel-centered, the gospel shapes and directs all of our beliefs and actions. If we are not centered on it, we will be let down as a church and we will let others down. If we focus on other things over it, the most important thing, it will distract us from our own mission, which was Jesus's mission. I'm reminded of this often, honestly, just to protect things. And as we grow here, I'm reminded of this when I've seen over you know last couple decades in ministry, uh, other churches that it can easily veer off and even side ministry projects. Um, I've seen some really weird ministries over the time. Nothing here, so I'm not even going to say the names, but I've seen churches in Texas have cowboy ministries. I'm like, cowboy ministry? You guys are like, is that around still? Do you have like, what is going on there? Uh, I've seen fight, fight church ministries. Um, there's, there's one church that's in North Carolina, um, and they have a ministry, what they call to gamers and game boarders, Okay. And like, no joke, like the title of the pastor, like my title, pastor, elder, you know, um, the title of this pastor is Pastor Nerd Nate, okay? That is his official title, Pastor Nerd Nate. I'm like, all right, what about anybody else that's outside of that subculture? <laughs> Listen, and I'm all about like contextualization. You know me, I'm all about using culture to, to reach culture and being missionaries in those ways. I'm all about reaching people with the gospel. Do you know how easy it can be for churches to go awry with certain pet projects and ministries, even with the best of motives? That's why here as a church, we do try to be a bit more simple and intentional with certain things in ministries. And as we grow, we know there needs to be more organization, more structure. But we have to make sure that the gospel shapes and directs all of our beliefs and all of our actions even his ministries. Because even when the church does good things and have and produce good ministries with good motives in God's name, it's not enough if it keeps us from the mission of the gospel. It will let us down like everything else in the world because some of those things truly get to a certain point they don't glorify God. And when it's not glorifying God, it will let us down again like anything else in this life. We are created for this glory and we're let down by false glory and therefore in need of hope. Christ in you through the gospel is the hope of glory. Colossians 1.27 says, 
to them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Church, the gospel shapes and directs all of our beliefs and actions because it's the hope of glory. That's why it's our first value that glorifies God. Our second value is worship that glorifies God. Read with me verses 6 through 7 in Jesus' high priestly prayer in John 17. Verse 6, I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. Worship is love, reverence, and adoration given to an object. False worship or idolatry is when that adoration is given toward a created person or a place or a thing or even self. True worship is when that adoration from creation is given toward the creator, the one true God. And it is why our second core value is worship that glorifies God. We give God the most glory through our worship, which includes our individual and corporate adoration. And as I say that, and that's the tagline with that value, we also know we can't give that adoration toward God unless we know God and is, He is revealed to us. In fact, look at verse 6, going back to Jesus' prayer again where he says, I have, I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. I know some of you guys read that. It was like, oh, that's like the TikTok trend. Somebody had asked me the other day. It was like, hey, what's manifest? It's like, that is not the right manifest, okay? But as we read this, the Greek word, phaneru, means to reveal, to disclose, to show visible. Jesus says, I have revealed, I've disclosed, I've shown visible your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Jesus has revealed and disclosed God to the people that God gave Jesus for us to worship him. We are gods given to Jesus to keep our word to God and Jesus. And in response, we can't but help to worship God. That is our response to God when he reveals himself to us. In prayer, in God's word, in music, in common grace. We can't but help to love and adore him, give praise and honor to, reverence and gratitude. As verse 7 says, now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. Our heart response, we can't but help to worship him. When God is revealed through Jesus and we're made known as his, we can't but help to respond in worship and gratitude. Now we know that everything God has given us through Jesus is from God, and we worship him in a way that glorifies him. That's why, as the core value for us as a church, to give God the glory through our individual and corporate worship. From formations for individual worship, because we know that it's not just the service. We are to worship him with our lives, with how we structure our families when we go to our work or to our schools, we are to give him the praise and live lives and say things 
do things that gives him the glory. But then also, it's just as true with our corporate worship service. It's why it's the value. This helped shape us as a church to do certain things somewhat differently maybe than other churches and not saying that how other churches do things is wrong. But it's why we have intentional picking of songs with lyrics that we know, trust, study, comes from Scripture. Why those songs even align often with what we are preaching on Sunday morning. Why we have what we do with our liturgy, with everything from what we start off with adoration to confession of sin to assurance pardon to what we are being sent out in benediction. We want to create a culture of different changes in this worship in these ways. This is a core value for us as a church. We believe we give God the most glory through our worship, which includes our individual and corporate adoration. As he reveals himself to us, we can't but help to respond by giving him that praise. And he and he alone deserves it. A third core value, as we read from verse 8, is a church that values biblical teaching. Read with me verse 8. For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them, and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. Jesus had not only given the disciples his words and instructions, but as he prays and as he mentions right here, he has given us, those his father had given him, his very own words, and we receive them as truth, and how that truth reveals Jesus as God and his plan with the gospel. You guys are already connecting the dots here. He has given us his word through ha, through the Bible. That is how God speaks to us. That is his word. That is why we call it God's word. It's the Bible in which our core value as a church states under biblical teaching, we preach and teach the Bible as God's authoritative, inspired, and errant word that reveals his plan for salvation and edifies his saints in all of our ministries. This is why, again, as a church, we, a few years ago, when rolling off as an autonomous church, switched a bit of our preaching kind of teaching plan to go through books of the Bible two-thirds of the year, where before is one-third of the year. That's why we have certain resources around that, but then also have community groups that weekly discuss God's Word being preached, teached, as we together learn how to apply it ourselves. It's why our kids' ministry, our student ministry, and our college ministry there are certain ways teaching, prioritizing God's Word. Going back from kids where the curriculum that we use on Sunday morning is a curriculum that almost 20 years ago, I served at a church in Louisville, Kentucky, uh, that formed kind of this team to evaluate the Sunday school kids curriculum and student curriculum uh, that we used at the time and like three or four others going through pros and cons and then a vote of which one we felt like was best to teach as a church. The curriculum that we use, Gospel Project, was the curriculum that we picked. And honestly, almost 20 years ago or so, uh, whenever that was that had came, came out, um, to this day, I still think and believe it's one of the best curriculum out there as it goes through Genesis to Revelation, but pointing and showing 
Jesus in every one of those stories, not just a moral teaching or value. It's why our student ministry, as they meet on Wednesday nights, and where Connor and their leaders do go over very important cultural items. They just finished with what teens do need to hear about dating and marriage and gender and sex. And we'll have certain topics also that, again, culturally, they need to hear God's word, what they say. But he goes through books of the Bible. And like he and his leaders do with discipleship relationships, our entire church and discipleship relationship is heavily focused on one-to-one Bible reading and teaching. As a church, we believe, we know we must preach and teach the Bible because it is God's authoritative, inspired, and errant word, and it it alone reveals his plan for salvation. Not only for salvation, but as the church it edifies his saints. Why all our ministries will teach it. Third core value, verse 9. I'm sorry, that was third, fourth, and final one. Dependent prayer. Verse 9, chapter 17, Jesus says, I am praying for them. I am praying. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. Church, whether it was kind of first getting into the Bible as a new Christian in high school to, to you right here this morning, I can't but help to always be amazed that when you read this, you kind of realize Jesus prayed for us. He prayed for the church. Can you believe that? That Jesus himself prayed for us. Like, do you know how important prayer is? How you pray for people you truly care for? Some of you in community groups and when they go through hard times and trials, the first thing they do is go to you and their group me or the church app and say, I need your prayers and you drop what you're doing right then and there, and you pray for them. Do you know how important prayer is? I have memories of a season that I ran from the Lord, and people on their knees praying for me. Jesus God's very own son, the lover of our soul, the savior to our sin, the one who rescues and redeems us. Jesus prayed for us, for me, for you, for gospel collective church and the churches in this city and country and all across the world who has been washed in the blood of Christ. The one who shed that sin, who shed that blood on the cross, first sweat out that blood praying for you. And like Jesus was dependent on the prayer, we as a church are dependent on prayer. And our lives as individuals, as families, family units, and as a corporate community. That's why church again strategic place it and the corporate worship It's why there's a heavy emphasis in our community groups around it. And it's why we want to do everything we can to help teach you how individually to spend time with the Lord, praying through the scriptures, praying through and adoring him, confessing to him, giving thanksgiving to him, and the important supplication. We're dependent on prayer in our lives as individuals, families, 
and as a corporate community. And all this, of course, is under their mission, is to glorify God. Next week you'll hear why as a church our mission is to love our neighbors and the four values under that. Two weeks from now you'll hear our mission to make disciples who make disciples and the last four values under that. But first, our mission, and to even understand and partake in those other, in the great commission and great commandment, we must give God all the glory. We end with verse 10. Jesus says in this prayer, all mine are yours and yours are mine and I am glorified in them. We are God's, God is ours, and God is glorified in us. And we know that is done through these first core values, first four core values, being centered around the gospel, giving worship that glorifies God, teaching through the Bible, and being dependent on prayer. Our mission is to glorify God through those core values. Yet before we conclude, I know some of you may feel left out of that mission and purpose here. Maybe you were even feeling a little bit left out as I was reading Jesus' prayer in that scripture, even hearing Jesus say, mine is yours and yours is mine. I recognize, I know it is easy, especially if you're new, you've been questioning things to feel like an outsider reading all of this. And in your heart of hearts, you may even be saying and thinking, I know I do not glorify God, that I do glorify myself or other people or things, and it has left you either longing for more or maybe in a mess of consequences because of such sin. And as true as that may seem for some of you here this morning, do know it doesn't have to be. God created you for something different. He wants to include you in this purpose and mission. He wants to make you his where you will finally glorify him, be truly and fully satisfied and fulfilled in such glory and what you were created to do in the first place. You may not have truly believed to receive this yet. And we want you to know that this is a place, a church, you can feel in many ways a sense of that belonging even before believing but until you do truly give him your life, receive him as your Lord and Savior, you will not be able to truly glorify him in such ways that you were created to, and you will continue to be let down from the false idols in your life. But as always, the invitation and the call to receive him is here. Believe in the gospel that Jesus, out of his great love for you, died on the cross for your sins, he rose from the grave, defeating sin, Satan, and death. And as you confess, I am that sinner, and you turn from that sin, you repent of it, and you have saving faith in Jesus Christ as the one true God, Lord, and King, and your Savior, and you give him your life. He eternally saves, and you can finally understand and fulfill what it means to live or something and someone beyond yourself that will give you greater purpose than anything else in this world. You were created for it. And he gives it. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for your word and what it reveals. 
May we worship you in response to it as we learn for some of these values. That we glorify you when we respond to the Spirit being used in your word and what it reveals, what it convicts, what it assures, what it glorifies and reminding us of the gospel. God, I pray, Lord, that we would continue to be centered on that as a church and not let other things distract. And what it has done with some churches, destroy them. I pray, Lord, from in teaching of your word to worship, including the song that we will sing right now, but then also that living sacrifice, daily worship of you, to the prayer that we are lifting up to you right now how your children speak to you and you as a perfect heavenly father desires to hear from your children. That answers with yes, yes, but not yet, or no, but trust me because I love you and I will take care of you. I am in control. May we glorify you. And God, if there's anybody in here that does not know you, even as we sing this song, they read these lyrics and they hear it from others around them, Lord. Let these words soak in. All glory to Christ is what we were created for. It's what we need. It's what we will not be satisfied by anything else in this world until we give you our lives. And I pray, Lord, whether it's now or later, they will come to a point in saying, I give you my life in that glory and you are worth it. I pray as a church again that we live for this. And we make it our mission. We thank you. We pray this to you. And we give you such worship and glory. In your name, Jesus.